All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans, chapter 16. We've been in this book for over a year now, and we're starting to land the plane here. And as you're doing that, I want to introduce you to some identical twin boys. Look at that. Uh, they're not co-joined, right? but they're uh, just, uh, we'll call them Luke and John. And uh, not even Mama knows how to tell the difference. They are so identical. And, and so one day she discovers there is a way to identify Luke from John. And it's because Luke has a birthmark on his left forearm. So you pick up a baby. If there's no birthmark, it's John. If there is a birthmark, it's Luke. So what's so significant about birthmarks? Well, Jesus said, I'm trying to get this closer. Jesus said, you, if you're a true believer, you should have a birthmark as well, a spiritual birthmark that sets you apart from the world, that identifies you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So here's the birthmark. Jesus said, now he had just, this is John chapter 13. He had just, you know, stripped down, washed everybody's feet, you know, had the last communion. And um, he said, listen, a new commandment I give to you. And it's uh, that you may love one another as I have loved you. Notice this. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So did you see the birthmark? The birthmark is right here. By this, they will know. They're going to examine my life. If I really love you, oh, Mike's a follower of Jesus Christ. If there's no love existent, well, I guess he's not a follower of Christ because that's the birthmark. Now, it's really not so much a new commandment as it's a, a, a new standard to an old commandment. You go all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, and it says this, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any, judge, any grudge against the children of your people. Evidently, God knew that as people, we tend to hold grudges. We tend... Am I in trouble? You have no sound on this side. You guys haven't heard what I said? I'll start all over. No, no, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you, bearer of. I don't know. Is it, what do I do, Danny? <laughs> Okay. Our normal sound system is being uh, refurbished right now or, or worked on. Uh, so, good job. My, my daughter likes it now. Oh, I mean. Okay. So it says, don't, don't hold a grudge. And, and what evidently God knew that we have this tendency, like, hey, you looked at me cross-eyed, or you let me down, or, you know, this or that. And we tend to hold grudges. He says, don't hold grudges. And in that context, he says this, uh, but to love the, the children of your people, that, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, even that became legalistic. Remember the, the guy who comes, okay, Jesus, uh, let's, um, can we kind of shorten these 613 commandments in the Old Testament? Jesus said, yeah, yeah, love, one, love, your, love God and love one another, love your neighbor. And he goes, okay, so who's my neighbor? Meaning, what's the bare minimum I could do? 
and still think I'm, I'm following your commandments. So he goes, listen, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the context of that, he's talking about love. Now, when he says a new commandment, right? Now we're back to the New Testament. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another as I have loved you. That's the new part. That wasn't the standard before. It was just love one another. Now we have this model, this example, and so we have to ask ourselves, well, how does Christ love me? Well, you might try unconditionally. He left heaven to win me over. Sacrificially. How about eternally? That's how he loved. He goes, okay, now go love people that way. Love. So Christ is the example here. Now, what we're doing in, John, in, in uh, Romans 16 is a bunch of names. There's a bunch of names that Paul's saying, I want you to make sure you greet this person. Now, we're not going to do, do every one in detail. Some of them will highlight. But the idea is that God created us for relationships. God gave us those two greatest commandments. Love God, meaning put him on the throne of your heart. Have no competition. No compromise. Put God number one. If you do that, you'll fall in love with Jesus. And then number two, love one another. Matter of fact, God said it's not good for you to live alone. It's not good. You know, the, the hermit, you kind of go cuckoo after a while. You, you need relationships. We're created to have relationships. So I need to know if I'm a relational person, if you are, how do I give love? How do I receive love? So this is how it works. Paul the Apostle is totally into relationships. He's written probably the best letter in the New Testament, the book of Romans, and now he's landing the plane. And now he's, he's picturing the people in the room there in Rome. Paul's far away. He's writing this letter. And he's saying, oh man, I want you to make sure you say hi to that person. I want you to make sure you love on that person. And, and he's just building a team if you will, as he's going through this. Now, 16 verses, 16 times in 16 verses, he's going to say, greet somebody, greet that person in particular. Now, in the Greek, I don't know if you really need to know this, but it's kind of cool, espazomai. It means to stop and give that person a hug. Now, notice this. It's, it's, the whole idea is make sure that person knows he or she is welcome. That's the whole idea. Whatever communicates to that person, you're loved, you're welcomed here. And he's saying, you know, it's not merely a gesture. So it's not like, hey, give them a shock as you walk by or, or nod at them. No, he's saying in this, in this Greek word, he's saying, I want you to stop. Hug that person. Actually, in the original, give them a kiss. I mean, let them know they are loved and appreciated. So he starts off in chapter and in verse one, I want to commend to you Phoebe. Now this word commend is pretty awesome. It means, let me introduce to you, let me present to you this gal, let me, I, I want you to accept her with favor, with approval. So it's like, this is pretty cool. He's saying, hey, we think she probably wrote, uh, uh, delivered this letter. But this is how it works. When he's saying, I commend to you, because I want this to happen in my life, I want it to happen in your life. Years ago, it's about eight or 10 years ago, uh, you remember I was part of the, I was the surf chaplain 
for the Triple Crown of Surfing. At the time, it was the last three professional contests in, in the world. Uh, we'd have one at Haleiwa, then one at Sunset Beach, and ended Pipeline. And it was a real honor to be asked to be a chaplain for many years. But one year, it's about eight or ten years ago, Randy Rarick, who was like the godfather of the Triple Crown, he decides to have this dinner, and we didn't realize he was building a team. And so it was invite only. We had a very special dinner over at Waimea Valley. And Randy, one by one, introduced each of us. It's like, so the first thing he did, and if I remember right, he came up behind us and put his hands on our shoulders. I mean, spotlight. And he introduced us, this is this person's name. Right away, I'm looking around going, I'm glad I'm not doing this. I'd forget half their names. I'd, I'd totally butcher this. So he says, this is their name. This is their position. This is what they do on our team. But the third one brought tears to a lot of people. I mean, just choking back tears. This is what each person meant to him personally. So if you're picturing, I don't know, there's a three dozen more people. There's a lot of people. And he's just going around one by one. It took some time. And I'll tell you what happened. What it did to me was I felt like I was on some elite ninja team that you know, we got this. We got this. It's going to be weeks and weeks that we're doing this, but I know who's on my team. I know they got my back. I got their back. I know who's not on my team. This is it. And he was building the team, and man, we had a great year that year. That's exactly what Paul's doing in this letter. He's going around one by one. He'll say their name. He'll say their position in the body of Christ. He will say what they mean to him personally. So we start Romans chapter 14. We start with this gal named Phoebe. Her name means brilliant, even sunny, cheerful. So I'm in New King James. Paul the Apostle writing, I, I, I commend to you, if he could, he'd have his hands on her shoulder. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Tentria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, you want to make note of this, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. So he says this Phoebe, he says three things about her. She's my sister, she's a servant, she's a saint. So sister, it's interesting, he goes, look, she's really close to me. She's like Ohana. And, and isn't it weird? You've probably sensed this if you've been in the body of Christ at all. So often, relationships in the church body are closer than your own family relationships. You're, you know, I feel closer to you than I feel to my blood relatives. Do you know that that often happens? And there's a verse for that. In, in Proverbs 18, it says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, for there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the idea. Hey, sometimes we're closer with each other than we are with our blood relatives. Now, it's interesting. Do you ever notice that some people can go to a church and not meet anybody? The person next to them goes to church and knows more people than I do. I've been here a while. <laughs> 
You go, how does that work? So if someone comes up to me, man, I've been in a church twice. I never met one person. Oh, were you friendly? Did you smile? Did you let them know the natives are friendly? Did you, what did you, did you, did you be friendly? No, 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 I was waiting for them to come to me. That's a violation of scripture. It's a total violation. You want friends? Be friendly. Be approachable and smile. And then there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what, that's like Phoebe was. Secondly, she's a servant. Now in this, it means diakonos in the original language, or she was a deaconess. Now I, I like what one commentator said. This indicates women were in positions of ministry in the early church. And, oh, oh I don't want to get into that first. Women were in positions of ministry. Who were the first ones at the tomb of Jesus Christ? The women. Who traveled with Jesus and actually contributed financially to his ministry? Women. We're told by historians that the women were ones who would go along to help the sick, help prisoners, help other younger women, how to, to teach them how to love their, their husbands and be a great, uh, great wife and stuff. But I love this that he says about her in verse 2. She's a helper. Now that word in the Greek means she's a strengthener. Maybe your translation says that. She's like a nursing mom, tenderly nourishing her children. He, and Paul goes on to say, that's how she's been to me. That's how she's been to me. And just says, she's just been helping me so much. She's got such a practical ministry in my life. And that's why he goes, look, I want you to take care of her. She's a saint means a set apart one. Maybe you were like me, you grew up in a church where you thought saints, you know, had to be voted on years after they were dead and they had to have X amount of miracles. And it's, no, you're a saint if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It means a set apart one and she was one. So he says basically treat her right. Like I think, again, we think that she's the one that carried this scroll to, to Rome. You can imagine that... Uh, on a Friday night or something. He says, hey, come on over to so-and-so's house. We'll have a potluck, and we got a new scroll from Paul. We're going to read it. And so here, she's the one that delivered that. Then we get into a marriage ministry, Priscilla and Aquila. So in verse 3, greet, again that word, stop them, give them a hug and a kiss. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They actually helped him make tents. They made tents side by side. They risked their own necks for my life. We're not sure of the specific incident other than it's just dangerous where he was. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. So here's a few things we need to know. This couple, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, is mentioned six times in the Bible. Four times, Priscilla's first, the, the female. And why is that such a big deal? It's not a big deal, but especially 2,000 years ago, you would, you would mention the, the guy's name first. And twice it is. But four times it's the girl's name first. And, and we think it's because she's probably the more gifted of the two. She probably had a bigger ministry, more powerful, more effective ministry than her husband, and that's okay. Uh, we have those in our modern day times. We have uh, uh, 
Beth Moore, who you probably don't know her husband, you know of her. Priscilla Shire, I've seen Priscilla at the uh, HIM conference. I've seen her, I've seen her husband, he's just in the background being a servant, making, making sure everything's okay. But these, obviously these women are more gifted than their husband, and it's okay. Their husbands are very supportive and encouraging in the, in the background. So they're fellow tent makers. I, I would think if you get a tent made by Paul, it's going to last for a while. And that's how these, these guys got together at first. They go, wait, wait, you make tents? We make tents. Let's get together. And they, they formed this, this bond, started at work, we believe. And then it kind of overflowed to a bigger blessing. And they were so good for each other in the Lord. This is the married couple that heard Apollos speak in the book of Acts. He was a really good speaker, but he didn't know enough about Jesus Christ. And rather than embarrass him in front of a crowd, Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and shared the, the full extent of the gospel with him. And he was better for it. He, was, uh, he became quite the preacher back then. So I, I like this. People just loved them. They loved them. They loved, said all the, all the Gentiles, all the church. They just, wherever they've gone, because we see them traveling around a bit, and wherever they went, it's like, Surely goodness and mercy, like in, in um, Psalm 23, it followed them wherever they went. Just followed them. And, and it's kind of neat. They're, by day, they're making tents. They're working away. By night, they go, hey, let's open our home. Come on over. Let's have a Bible study. Just, I love it. So they were like the first Ohana group in the Bible. This is what we have. Just open your home and have a Bible study. You're doing it in their, in their image. Pastor Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he was the prince of preachers a long time ago. He said this about them. When two loving hearts, meaning Aquila and Priscilla, pull together, they accomplish wonders. And then he, he challenged people, why don't you compare their marriage, which was, you know, spectacular, exceptional, to the marriage we find in, in Acts chapter 5, the marriage of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. One marriage is just exceptional. Wherever you, nothing bad mentioned of them. Nothing. As the other marriage, Ananias and Sapphira, remember, they were hypocritical. They, they were, the, the Jews in Jerusalem were starting a big commune. Everybody's selling their land and just giving it to them. And, and they, they formed this little pact between them, saying, okay, we're going to sell the land for 100 grand, but we're only going to give 50,000, and we'll say it's the full price. Listen, you, were, you didn't have to give a dime. They, but they, they formed this pact, look, between me and you, we're going to lie, but they'll never know. And of course, if you know the story, both of them died when they presented this hypocritical lie. You know, it's interesting. What kind of marriage do you have? Do you have the one that's, you know, uh, well, we work in the day, we open our house. We're just known for, actually, people love us wherever we go. Or are you more like Ananias and Sapphira? Where you go, okay, listen, nobody needs to know this. But we're going to do this on the side. 
You know, I like to tell people when I'm doing premarital counseling, listen, you can fool me, okay? That's not hard. I, I love believes all things, remember? And so you can form a pact between you and pretend like you're holy and never kissed or never did nothing and, and uh, just, we'll just fool Mike. Hey, I can believe you, but it'll backfire. Because in time, it might be years later, you go, wait a minute. He lied to Mike about a relationship. How do I not know he's lying now to me about a relationship? And he might get paranoid and suspicious going, whoa, I know you're a liar. I was part of it. How do I not know you're lying to me now? So, you know, just tell the truth. You'll never have to remember, remember what you said. So then he goes into this apanatus. And again, I'm sure I'm butchering these names. You ever, you ever order something online and they're repeating your, your visa card? Haley Ewa. No, Holly even. No matter how many times, they, they just get it wrong. So I'm sure I'm butchering the names, but I don't mean to. This one might be my favorite. So he just says there in verse 5, Greet my beloved Apanatus, who's the first fruits of Achaia, of Christ, in Achaia. So this is a guy, it's a masculine name. He said, I want you to, this is my beloved. What, wait, wait, what's so special about him? He's, he's a guy saying, I really love that guy. He's really something, he's really special. And you go, wait, wait, wait. You, you see, you tend to remember the first person you lead to the Lord. He goes, that guy was the first guy in that whole area. I went there. I didn't know if anybody's going to respond. This guy responded. Do you remember the first person you, you led to the Lord? Last week at our Ohana group, we had two ladies share about recently they had just led someone to the Lord. First time in their lives. So KT leads her sister to the Lord, prayed for her sister for years, on the phone, and then you go, she's way over in the main, she goes, am I going to ask this? You ever, yeah. uh, what if they say no? What if they say yes? And so she's, hey, do you want to, you want to pray right now? The other one was Sharon Klaproth. She said this lady was the last person in the world that you'd think would get saved. And so again, it's like, uh, do I ask this question? Do you want to pray right now? Or what's preventing you from asking Christ in your heart right now? And, and they're going on. So, but, so both ladies go, yeah, 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 we want. These are separate occasions. But now there's a problem. KT and Sharon, they've never done it before. What are you supposed to pray? Watch this. They Googled, what's the sinner's prayer? Hopefully they Googled it for Jesus, not for Buddha or Allah or something. And you know what? And Google did it. <laughs> so, okay, pray after me. And they just pray the Google sinner's prayer. But the thing is, they'll never forget that. When you ask somebody, when you're bold enough and just compassionate enough and understanding that the, 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 the enormity of eternity, and you go, hey, do you want to pray right now? What's anything holding you back? You'll never forget. You were part of that person's testimony for all of eternity. In three weeks, we're going to have Easter. You know, I'm, I'm picturing teams just going out and combing the North Shore. 
with the invites. Just, and you can be part of that person's testimony forever. Hey, yeah, that guy, see that guy, you see that girl? They gave me an invite to Easter, and God moved in my life. Then she goes in verse 6, greet Mary. Greet Mary. Pretty soon we'll get to a clump of these guys, but greet Mary who labored much for us. Now in case, I guess some labor and then others labor much. Now what's interesting, the, the word for labored here is used in Luke chapter 5 about fishermen who fished all night. We're not talking about, yeah, she put in five minutes. She worked actually till she sweated. She was a hard worker. So uh, like Danny had the senior high and junior high workers stand up. It's amazing what they did these last two weeks. I think we might not understand having that many kids to where the, the camp was maxed out. They said, you got to send some home. There's too many teens down here. And to do this without using drugs, <laughs> you know, just uh, by, by after two weeks of this, they're pretty much worthless the next day. But the work they did, the labor of love, I got to go down there one day and see the last worship session. Oh my goodness, it was powerful. I just salute these guys. They, they're like that, though. They labored, and yet they did it unto the Lord. Adronicus and Junia, we're not sure if this is a married couple or not, because Junia is one of those names that could be masculine or it could be feminine. So this might be two bros, or it might be a married couple. Not, doesn't really know what it, what it was, but it says that the apostles knew them. So in verses 6 and 7, uh, greet, or I'm sorry, it's 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my, my countrymen, sounds like two guys, and my fellow, uh, my fellow prisoners, so they spent time in prison with Paul, and who are of note among the apostles and who also were in Christ before me. So they got saved before Paul did. But what's interesting, okay, he drops this term, the apostles. Now, I don't know about you, but I get really uncomfortable when someone calls himself an apostle. What do you mean by that? You know, because uh, if, you, if you go back, uh, there's the original 12. They're the ones that wrote much of the New Testament. They taught the doctrine. They, they taught us about grace. And so we specified there was the 12, and they are not to be repeated. There's no more of those original 12. The term for apostle can also mean missionaries. It means they're called out. But I, I like the term missionary, but I'm just not comfortable with somebody that, well, I'm apostle. What does that mean? Now, the truth is, in the original language, this might simply mean the apostles know those guys. You know, Peter, he said, oh, yeah, those guys are a blessing. James, yeah, those guys are a blessing. That might be all that he, he, he's meaning here. Greet those who have noticed the household of Aristobulus. The household, not Aristobulus. So this has led some people to go, Hey, where are you, Aristobulus? Where are you? How come your kids were raised in a household that had no godly man? Where are you? It's that, how come they had no prayer time with you? Never discussed your testimony with Jesus Christ? Never discussed the richness of the, the scriptures? Where are you, is, is what this guy did in his sermon. 
And he's like those who grew up in a household. Dad wasn't saved. And so in the sermon, this guy goes, well, maybe your, your name's not Aristobulus, but is your lifestyle the same? Are you the guy that, well, I just don't know how much to say. Actually, we're instructed to, as we're walking with our kids, as we're sitting down, as we're talking, to just be that the, the things of the Lord should just naturally overflow. Just naturally, he brings up little ways and even questions where we begin to share the Lord. Now, greet Tryphena, Tryphosa, twin sisters. Their names mean dainty and delicate, but they were good workers. It's a neat thing. Uh, Rufus, verse 13. Rufus, we're thinking, he's the same guy that's mentioned in, in Mark chapter 15. So in Mark, uh, in Mark 15, verse uh, 21, it says, they compel, this is Jesus going down the Via Della Rosa, marching towards Golgotha to be crucified. It says, they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And he's just minding his own business. They said, you are carrying the cross for Christ. What a difference between, the guy, between him and the guy before him. The guy before him, are there, is there any godly influence between you and your kids? And this guy is the example of deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow, follow Christ. And so we believe this is one of his offspring still walking with the Lord uh, years later. And then he says, this guy, do you ever, can you say that name? Philologos? It literally means a lover of the word. Hey, tell that guy I said, how's it? Give him a hug. How do I know if I'm a lover of the word? How do you know? Usually a lover of the word, if he's asked a question, if she's asked a question, they answer with scriptures. You know, they go, hey, so what's your opinion? Well, the Bible says, and it's just like, like in Psalm 1, I just meditated on day and night. Or Psalm 119 gives a zillion reasons why I, I love the word. But this guy was known, his name, like I just love the word. That would be a wonderful title to have. So in verse 16, this is our last verse for today. In verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So here's what Pastor John MacArthur says about the holy kiss. It started in the Old Testament. Kissing of friends on the forehead, the cheek, or the beard. It was common in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, guys would, would grab the other guy by the beard and then kiss him on each side. We even have one incident in the Old Testament where he grabbed his enemy by the beard. He thought it was his friend. Grabbed him by the beard and with the other hand stabbed him to death. So it was an Old Testament practice that the Jews brought into the New Testament. So when they brought it into the New Testament, they carried on the practice. It became, notice this, especially precious to new believers who were often outcasts from their own family. So here's a, here's a kid who knows that Jesus is the way. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not a Jew anymore, or I'm not this anymore. I am now a born-again Christian. And often families would say, you have nothing to do with us. You have no inheritance. You have no, no place at the table anymore. 
you're out. Imagine what a, uh, what a, a hug and a kiss would mean to someone like that. So that's what uh, they're saying here. Now, just a word of advice for guys. Guys, we can be real knuckleheads. To me, it's all about the woman. The whole thing was, what makes them feel welcome? What makes them feel comfortable? What makes them know I'm family here? Now, some gals, growing up in Hawaii, Tahiti, uh, it's, you know, Brazil, where there's the double cheekers, you know, on each cheek and all that, it's, that's great. But here we have a lot of transfers, and not everybody's comfortable doing that. And that's okay, because the bottom line is, what makes them feel welcomed? So guys, if, if a gal sees you heading her way and she runs for the hills, it means, no thank you. And that's, that's where a holy shaka can come in handy. It's what makes that person feel welcome. Okay, now, we're back to our twins. Remember the story about Luke and John? Not even mama could tell them apart. What, what was the difference? Birthright. Thank you. Somebody's listening. The birthright. You pick them up, you go, okay, is this going? No, no birthright. Okay, that's John. This one has, okay, that's Luke. And the birthright in the Christian and the, the believer is where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. Remember, that's the new difference. It's like, oh my goodness. This isn't the bare minimum. Okay, so who's my neighbor? How can I do the bare minimum and still think I'm good? He says, no, you just treat them the way I treated you. Well, that raises the standard a lot. That's how you're supposed to love one another. So, here's the application. Who's, who are you going to greet this week? Meaning, who are you going to stop long enough to, if, if it be necessary, give them a hug, let them know, you know what, you're something in my life. I really value you. I really appreciate you. Who, who are you going to commend this week? I want you to know this is my friend so-and-so. This is what she does in the church or what he does. And this is what they mean to me. That's the commendation. So there's, there's this, um, a pastor and I were in Japan years ago. We did a conference for a, a church there. And it went really good. But we're closing. And it's the last night. And one of the leaders and his wife are going to leave. You know, people leave churches all the time. That's, that's fine. Especially in Hawaii. You have, well, we're moving to... Korea. We're moving to, you know, name it. I get it. That happens all the time. But there's other times they were just moving. They, I mean, they were staying in the place, just leaving the church, and something didn't fit right. It's just like, okay, why? Why? They couldn't put their finger on it. So the pastor, Bob Hallman, from Kauai, he was the one I went with, he said, let's get the couple in the middle of the room. Just sit down. Okay, go around the room and simply say what this couple means to you. That's all. 
I mean, if they leave, that's fine, but let's bless them as they leave. So we just went around and greeted them, commended them. My goodness. There's a river of tears. And they said, we're staying. We didn't trick them into it. We simply greeted them, commended them. This is what you mean to me. Here's the good news. How has Christ loved you? We've already gone over that eternally, sacrificially, unconditionally. How about this one? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. People are actually disgusted with Christ because he would have the audacity to go to a dinner party that was full of sinners. Now, he didn't compromise his life and just blend in with them. He reached out to them. But the, the ultra-religious people, oh, we can't stand this. This is so wrong. And he goes, no, 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 no. This is why I'm here, to seek and to save that which was lost. He's a friend of me and you, a friend of sinners. How about this old song? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You ever think of how he'll commend you? I mean, what if that would happen? How cool. I mean, we have eternity in heaven. We got time. What if he goes one by one? He says, oh, come up here. Face them. Puts his hand on your shoulders. Remember the commendation? This is her name. This is her, her place in the body of Christ. This is what she means to me. How crazy will that be? How powerful will that be? You see, there could be a time. We know there's going to be a one-on-one -on -one time when he gives you a name that no one else knows. It's just between you and him. It's coming. Number one, who are you going to greet this week? Who will know, whoa, that person really stopped everything and loved on me? And who will you commend, even introduce them to another friend, say their name, position in the body of Christ, and what they mean to you? Let's close in prayer. We could have the worship team come up. Lord, what a great portion of Scripture. Seeing how how important relationships are. Lord, in comparison, we, we've got our homework to do. We need to step it up. May we love one another as you have loved us. If someone's here who doesn't know your love, may that change now. May they receive that you are a friend of sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand? You guys snuck up on me. Guys, I love you. I want God's best for you. Just a curious sec section of scripture on friendships. Love one another. Let's close in, in song.